0: This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, we are indeed so glad that you're joining us today on this live stream. And we hope that you're ready to study God's Word together. And so if you are, we want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 4. And as you're turning to John chapter 4, we want you to know that there is a listening guide uh, in the notes of today's live stream. And so you can just go down there, you can download that, and then you can follow along with me um, as we make our way through today's text. And as we start our time today, what I want to do is I want to pose a question to you. And so if I were to ask you today, if we were face-to-face, and I guess through the screen today we are, I would want to ask you, what, is, what was Jesus's primary purpose for coming to planet earth. I mean, what is Jesus's primary job? What is his primary function as he walked this sod and as he continues to lead people today? Well, some people would say that is simply to be another religious teacher uh, at the religious round table or perhaps to be another philosophical sage at the buffet of worldly ideas and philosophies. And perhaps even from a spiritual standpoint, we could be very tempted to go back to a couple of weeks ago and simply see Jesus as a miracle worker, that, that Jesus's primary function on planet earth was to simply to go from town to town, village to village, person to person, and simply wave a magic wand and wave his hand and make all the bad things go away and just make all the good things come. And that was his primary function now I want you to know today that Jesus most certainly is the wisest of all philosophers. And I want you to know that he is the greatest of all religious teachers. And yes, through his supernatural power, just as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus performed numerous miracles. But none of those functions is Jesus's primary purpose on planet earth. Jesus's primary purpose on planet earth was to come to be the savior of the world. And so we're gonna immediately see this in our in our listening guide this morning. Here is our ultimate hope, and our ultimate hope is what Jesus' primary purpose for coming to earth was, and it's this. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, in John chapters three and four, What the Apostle John brilliantly does is he contrasts Jesus' encounters with two different people. Last week, we unpacked John chapter 3, where the morally upright religious leader Nicodemus approached Jesus. And after looking at Nicodemus' religious credentials, Jesus told him that he still must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And what we learned in last week's message is this. Religious credentials are totally inadequate to get you into the kingdom of God. Now today, we come to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus this time is going to approach a woman. A woman of Samaria. A very different type of person altogether. Nicodemus, a Jewish male morally upright religious leader. She, a Samaritan woman of ill repute. And so this morning, what I wanna do is start in John chapter four, verse seven. And we're gonna read down through verse 18 to get us started. And then we'll come back to verse 19 as we get towards the end of our message this morning. So beginning in verse seven, here's what the text tells us. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This morning, what I want you to see in concert with what we saw last week is I want you to see the mission of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Jesus's message, his message of the gospel, that that every man, woman, and child must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And this week, what we really see when we think about Nicodemus in John chapter three and this woman of Samaria in John chapter four, is we see Jesus on mission in this world encountering real sinful people who needed his salvation, And through these two encounters, whether it's this religiously, morally upright man, Nicodemus, or this woman of ill repute, this woman of Samaria, Jesus shows us an eye-opening truth this morning. And it's this, everybody, everywhere is a sinner in need of Jesus. Everyone, everywhere is a sinner in need of Jesus. Back in John 3 and verses One and two, we learn that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus. Here in chapter four, verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and this time Jesus approached her. Now through these two encounters, what Jesus is doing is he's leveling the spiritual playing field for us. Regardless of our genealogy, Our religious experience or our perceived morality, every one of us everywhere on earth is a sinner in need of Jesus. Now, you may be watching this today and you may be thinking, well, you know, Chris, I'm not really that bad of a person. Sure, I may not be as perfect as Jesus, but I'm not as bad as my ruthless boss and I'm certainly not like the criminal behind bars in the local prison. Perhaps not. But the scriptures teach you this morning that you're still a sinner in need of a savior. Or you may be listening to this today and you normally don't come to church. As a matter of fact, um, even though their social distancing has been a big discouragement to believers because we're not able to meet together face to face. You're actually taking advantage of this opportunity because you're, you're getting to see inside what a service at Mill City Church would be like on a normal Sunday. And, and you're kind of checking out what this whole Christian thing means to begin with. And, and this has been a good thing for you because the reality is you probably wouldn't want to be here on a Sunday morning with other Christians and understanding what that's like anyway. And you might think that you're too dirty to come to Jesus. You can't comprehend how Jesus could ever want anything to do with you because of what you have done or what you're currently doing. But that's just it this morning. Jesus came into the world to save sinners just like you, just like Nicodemus, just like this woman at the well, just like me. It's like I've, I've heard another pastor put it, the moral can't be saved by their morality and the immoral are never too immoral to find salvation in Jesus. That's good news this morning. Everyone everywhere is a sinner in need of Jesus. But there's more good news to be found in Jesus's mission here with this Samaritan woman. The second truth that this passage teaches us this morning about Jesus's mission is this. Jesus then crosses human barriers to pursue you. He crosses human barriers to pursue you. Look at me at the exchange beginning in the latter part of verse seven. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Jesus is alone with this woman because the text tells us in verse eight that the disciples had gone into town to go through the drive through and get takeout to bring it back to Jesus. And in verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans the woman is almost incredulous or at least dumbfounded and shocked that Jesus would engage her in conversation. And not only is he talking to her, but he's also asking to share a drink with her from the same bucket with which she is drawing water. She's shocked because Jesus seriously, emphatically crossed significant cultural barriers in order to get to her. Jesus crossed at least three different barriers to engage this woman in conversation. Number one, he crossed a racial line. Did you see it in the text? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? You see, in the first century world, Jews looked at the Samaritans with very much consternation and racial prejudice. Because you see, after the split of Israel in the Old Testament, a large population of God's people were taken into captivity by the oppressive Assyrian Empire. And while there, some of the Jews, against God's commandment, intermarried with the unbelieving pagan Assyrians. And the resulting offspring were the Samaritans. And now, centuries later, due to absolutely no fault of their own, modern day Samaritans at that time were objects of derision from their Jewish neighbors. And so Jesus, a Jewish man engaging the Samaritan woman, he is most definitely crossing a racial line, but he also crosses a social line. You see, in the first century world, Women had very little social standing in public. Now, I don't want in any way to minimize any social inequities in our day in 21st century America. However, if you you just think that 21st century America is a man's world, you gotta consider the first century Mediterranean world. For a Jewish man to even speak to a woman in public who was not his wife that would have been considered extremely socially taboo you don't believe me go all the way down to verse 27 after the disciples come back with the takeout in verse 27 the text says that the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman they're 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 now incredulous what what is he doing he's not supposed to be doing that. But just like he did the racial line, Jesus also crossed the social line by engaging this woman in conversation. His mission to her mattered that much. So he crossed a racial line. He crossed a social line. Thirdly, I want you to see that he crossed a religious line. Not only is he a Jew talking to a Samaritan, and not only is he a Jewish man talking to a woman in public who is not his wife. Jesus is also a religious teacher engaging in conversation, a woman of very much ill repute. And we know this to be true about her because we've already read of her several, her multiple husbands. But we also know it from the fact that in verse 6, we learn that this entire exchange happened around the sixth hour, which would have been around noon, the middle of the day. And in this first century Mediterranean world, women would often come to the well to draw water, but they would usually do that at two common times a day early in the morning and later in the evening. And they would also normally do that in groups. But this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day alone. Both of these points probably giving the connotation that she bore shame and she didn't want to deal with it with anyone else. If there were a ladies' church league in first century Galilee, they probably would have been looking at Jesus talking to this woman of ill repute and they would have dismissingly said, and he calls himself a religious teacher. Yeah, right. But Jesus crossed the religious line too. And you want to know why? Because his love and his grace know no boundary. There was no human barrier Jesus did not cross to bring the message of salvation to this sinner in need. And that's good news for you today. It's good news for me today because there's no barrier he won't cross to bring salvation to you today. I want you to think about the human barriers that may have been erected between you and Jesus today. Think about the human barriers that might exist in your life. Perhaps it's a bad church experience from your past. Jesus will knock that wall down. Maybe it's a particular sin that you're simply too embarrassed to think about or even too ashamed of bringing at the feet of Jesus. Well, he'll bust through that barrier too. Or maybe it's your pride today. Maybe it's your pride because you're simply too afraid to come to Jesus and become a Christian because honestly, you're too afraid of what other people might think of you if that change were to take place in your life. But I want you to know that Jesus will overcome your own pride this morning. There is no barrier Jesus will not cross to pursue you with his gospel. Let's keep going in the text. Thirdly, Jesus also with this woman exposes your deep-seated thirst. Look with me at verse 10. If you knew, lady If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I mean, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. You see, the woman is astounded that Jesus asked her for a drink of water. So Jesus did what he so often did throughout his earthly ministry. He did not let a good teaching opportunity pass him by he used just like he did with nicodemus he used a temporal physical circumstance to illustrate an eternal spiritual truth but the woman is confused she doesn't get it um where where do you get that living water she asked in other words she's probably thinking the sun is hot The bucket is heavy. My thirst is great. It sure would be great to have some of that magic water so I don't have to keep coming back and doing this multiple times a day. But to make sure that she doesn't miss his point, Jesus then zeroes in on her heart in verse 16. Go call your husband and come here. And don't you know that at that point, knowing her past and knowing her present relational circumstances, she had to have sheepishly responded in verse 17. I I, I have no husband. And then Jesus says to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have actually had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And what Jesus masterfully does here is illuminate her deep-seated thirst, her deep-seated desire for ultimate satisfaction. I mean, what was it that she ultimately hoped for? What was it that she was ultimately longing for? Well, maybe it was belonging. Maybe it was love or sex or just being safe in a man's arms. Perhaps it was relational satisfaction. We we might not know what her exact psychological or emotional thirst was for, but we do know that she pursued men and lots of men in order to quench it. And by utilizing this metaphor, Jesus exposed her deep-seated thirst for something more in life. And the reality is he exposes yours and mine today. Inside of each of us, I mean, deep down at the core of our hearts resides a hunger and a thirst. It could be a thirst for belonging, a desire for fame, a a longing for love, a, a quest for education and success, a need to be understood, a yearning for attention it's there inside of you just like it's there deep down inside of me and i want you to know this morning that many of those thirsts and desires are good and right at their base level but as a sinner your sin distorts those good desires and then lead you on a lifelong quest to quench the deep-seated thirst inside of you. And so what you end up doing is you end up drinking from a multitude of wells in order to satisfy the thirst. But after drinking from them, those cisterns from which you drink actually leave you thirstier than you were before. It's like running a race and then grabbing a bottle of salt water afterwards. What you thought would actually satiate you actually dehydrated you. The reality is no matter what you pursue to quench the thirst, you'll always be thirsty again. There's been much lamenting over uh, Tom Brady's departure from New England this past week. And uh, most New Englanders aren't prepared for a football season without the GOAT, right? Too soon? But Tom Brady seemingly has it all, right? But what do you do when you have everything you've always wanted and you're still wondering, is this all there is? Several years ago, after Super Bowl win number three, Brady was asked this question on 60 Minutes. And he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And when the interviewer asked, what's the answer? Brady could only say, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see this morning on this gloomy gray Sunday morning, like Brady, we're all thirsty. And even after drinking from a multitude of wells, that deep seated thirst for something more never goes away. But Jesus does more than simply expose your deep-seated thirst this morning. He's actually going to go a step further. Not only does he expose your deep-seated thirst, I also want you to see this. Jesus then offers you ultimate satisfaction. He offers you ultimate satisfaction. Look back with me at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now here is where we see the loving mission of Jesus on full display. Jesus doesn't simply expose your deep-seated thirst. Jesus isn't like politicians of our day or like a lot of us as political prognosticators. Jesus doesn't just sit there and complain about what's wrong and just diagnose the problem. Jesus then gives and and prescribes the ultimate antidote to the problem. He diagnoses the problem and then prescribes the remedy. And the water Jesus speaks of is the one well from which you may drink and leave and not walk away thirsty still. And what Jesus is ultimately doing here is appealing to so many allusions from the Old Testament scriptures. Because throughout the scriptures, the term living water is used metaphorically to refer to the inward spiritual cleansing and transformation brought by salvation from God. For example, in a negative connotation, look at Jeremiah chapter 2. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this was God's indictment against his people. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And this is the indictment against every man, woman, and child living on planet earth today. And we do it in a variety of ways. We might do it in unique ways that are unique to our wiring and our sinful bent. But every one of us has forsaken the fountain of living waters, God, and we have gone and we have, Formed cisterns for ourselves, fountains that we think will satisfy us, but they ultimately don't. But then Isaiah chapter 12, in a more positive sense, this is what God promises about his salvation. And Isaiah 12 verse 3 says, With joy... You will draw from water from the wells of salvation. And this is exactly what the prophet Ezekiel wrote about in Ezekiel 36, 25, which we looked at last week when we studied about Nicodemus. God promised this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Do you see the picture God's people in the Old Testament heard these truths for generations, and Jesus is coming on the scene, and to this Samaritan woman, he is now applying these verses that were promised to people for hundreds of years. He's applying them to her, and he's saying that he himself is the one who will bring it. All of these verses Along with Jesus's words to the Samaritan woman, demonstrably show us that there is nothing on planet earth that can quench the deep-seated desires of your heart. Education is good, but it won't satisfy you completely. Success is laudable, but it won't ultimately quench your heart. Romance is electrifying, but he or she will never fulfill you completely. Money can buy you a whole lot of things, but it can't buy you ultimate satisfaction. Only Jesus ultimately satisfies. And it's what he's telling you in the text. One of the early leaders of the Christian church, the great thinker, Augustine, famously said, you, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace till they rest in you, And this is what Jesus offers to you today. But I want you to notice something about the living water that Jesus offers you before we move on. It's not found in an external well where you must repeatedly draw from every time you are spiritually thirsty. Look at what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, the water that I will give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's going to become a spring of water. Here's what Jesus is basically saying. That upon turning to him, he literally connects your spiritual plumbing to the well itself for now and for all of eternity. And so that after becoming a Christian, after turning to him, he will literally pump his supply of spiritual sustenance in your life on a daily basis because you are attached to the well itself. Jesus exposes your deep-seated thirst, but then what he does is he offers you ultimate satisfaction. But then I want you to see this. And here's where Jesus' mission comes full circle. Jesus died to give you eternal salvation. Jesus died to give you eternal salvation. Let's continue reading this text uh, and this paragraph beginning in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. After exposing her deep-seated thirst and then illuminating to her her misdirected attempts at quenching, the woman immediately changes the subject. And through Jesus's words, God begins to tug at the woman's heart. She begins asking questions about worship. Well, Jews say that real worship is here and others say it's over there. You seem like you might be a prophet. What what do you say? And what Jesus ultimately does here is this he assures her that real worship, authentic worship that God is looking for is not found in a place of geography. It's not found in a towering cathedral. No, the real place of true worship, Jesus says, is in a heart, is in a woman's heart, is in a man's heart linked With Jesus Christ. They are the true worshipers. Jesus said a couple of times in that paragraph that those who worship in spirit and in truth are the true worshipers. So here's what I want to show you I want to show you how true worship here is linked to salvation that is wrought by belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus says that the real worshipers, true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Go back with me to John chapter 3 in verse 33. Here's what the text says. Whoever receives his testimony, Jesus. So whoever receives Jesus sets his seal to this that God is what? God is true. For he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Do you see that? I mean, I don't want to take too much time here, but do you see in John 3, verses 33 through 34, the text tells us that Jesus is the one whom God sent and Jesus is the one who brought the truth of God and gives the spirit of God. And so when Jesus comes to John chapter four with the Samaritan woman and clarifying what true worship is, Jesus says that true worship is those who worship in spirit and truth. And by the way, I am he, I am the one who brings you the spirit and the truth. In two different times, in verse 21 and verse 23, Jesus says, the hour is coming. The hour is coming. Now, if you think back, if you've been a part of our live streams or our podcast over the last few weeks, think back to the week we studied the miracles of Jesus. Think back to when Jesus rebuked his mother at the wedding at Cana. What did Jesus tell his mother? My time has not yet come. Or some translations would say, my hour has not yet come. And in that message, I told you, when you when you read the gospels and Jesus says, my time has not yet come, or the hour is coming, or my hour has not come, he's talking about his death and resurrection. And so here's what I want you to see. It's not just that Jesus wants to bring you ultimate satisfaction in life, he also wants to bring you eternal salvation. And the way he brings you eternal salvation is through his death and his resurrection. For that's ultimately what Jesus came to do on earth, to die for the sins of the world and to rise again on the third day so that anyone who would repent of their sins and place faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done will have eternal salvation. And he predicates this entire search for ultimate satisfaction upon belief in his death and resurrection. And so this morning he offers to you that same eternal life he offered the Samaritan woman 2,000 years ago. And his salvation is not stagnant. It is not stoic. His salvation is also satisfying, both now in this life and for all of eternity. But I want you to see one last thing before we conclude this morning about Jesus's mission. Yes, Jesus brought a mission to planet Earth. And that mission was to save sinners just like you and me. We saw it in the morally upright like Nicodemus and now we see it in the very immoral like this Samaritan woman. But here's what I also want you to see. I want you to see that Jesus wants his followers, Christians like you and me, to join him on his mission. So here's the last truth I want you to see from this text this morning. When Jesus changes your life, you immediately join him on mission. You immediately join him on mission. Go down with me at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away in the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Do you see what happens here? Jesus crosses several cultural barriers, several human barriers in order to reach this woman. And he exposes to her, her deep seated longings and thirst, and then offers himself as the remedy to those thirsts and points her towards ultimate satisfaction that he would bring. And then pointed her towards the fact that he came to die to bring her eternal salvation and that he himself is the Messiah, God had promised for centuries that he himself was standing right before her. He was the one promised. And this woman's life has changed. She believes. She becomes a follower of Jesus. And immediately the text tells us that she goes into town and says to the people, come and see a man who told me everything about me. And don't you know with a woman of her past, and of her repute, that that was a frightening prospect that someone told her everything that she had ever done. Jesus changed this woman's life. This woman came, this woman saw, this woman heard. And so what she then did is she went and she told what she had seen and what she had heard. to Go on down to verse 39. In verse 39, it says that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. What began as a routine visit to a well ends up in the radical transformation of a sinful woman's life and then a spiritual awakening among a race of people who had been set aside in prejudicial social and religious outcast. Jesus is a remarkable savior. I wanna talk to my Christian brothers and sisters for a moment. This morning, if we learn nothing else from this text about Jesus's mission, we need to go back to the foundations and be reminded that when Jesus changes our lives, we are immediately called to join him on mission. And I want you to know that during this time of, uh, of just disorientation and confusion, economic impact and distress, where in a time where people are sick in a time where loved ones are dying from a virus and from a disease that three or four months ago we had never heard from, right now the church of Jesus Christ his followers, his sons and daughters, we have such an opportunity to be light in our world. We have such an opportunity to meet real needs in the name of Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage every Christ follower who's listening to this today. I believe there are three questions that we can ask anybody we come in contact with through the course of this social distancing and in the midst of this pandemic. Number one, we can ask people, how are you doing? How are you really doing right now? How are you processing this? And just let them give you their answer. Number two, we can ask the question, what do you need right now? Is there a need that you have? I I can't promise that I can meet that need. I can't promise that my church can meet that need. But I know one thing. I can't, we can't meet any needs that we don't know about. So, do you have a need? What is that? And a third question that we can ask every person we come in contact with right now is How can I pray for you? Is there a specific way I can pray for you? And, brothers and sisters, these are three ways right now that we can be the hands and the feet and the words of Jesus to our culture. And I want you to know that just as Jesus crossed real human barriers, for the sake of his mission in the first century, you and I can cross some barriers right now. It could be the barrier of discomfort. It could be the barrier of our own pride. It could even be the barriers of social distancing and trying to figure out how to talk to people and relate to people during this time. But brothers and sisters, we can do it. We can overcome it. We have technology at our disposal. We have great resources. And so let's continue being on mission with Jesus and follow his example like we see with the Samaritan woman. This morning, our ultimate hope is this. Our ultimate hope is not in a stimulus check that might come in a few weeks. Our ultimate hope is not who is in the White House today or or who is leading us on Beacon Hill in Boston today. Our ultimate hope is this. Jesus came into the world to save sinners just like you and me. And I want to close with this. The great John Newton, the man who was a slave trader and and became a Christian and renounced that and was a, a great voice in the abolition movement and who wrote one of the most famous hymns ever written, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Nearing the end of his life, wrote these famous words. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Father, I pray for my brothers, for my sisters, for my friends who are watching or listening to this today. Father, I pray that you would cause us to renounce our pride And you would cause us to see inside of ourselves the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Father, rather than depressing us, I pray that that would cause us to fall at your feet so that you may lift us up in salvation. And so, Father, for those listening today who have never turned to Jesus, those who have never received your message of grace, who have never been satisfied by the water you give, I pray today that you would birth inside of my friends listening today, birth inside of them repentance, that they may repent of their sins and give them the gift of faith that they may see the treasure and the great worth that your son Jesus is. And Father, for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this and and they know that they've been born again and they know that they are safe and secure in your arms and they know your satisfying love that you give, Father, I pray that you would remind them today that they are now on mission with you. And in the midst of a culture and a a place where we're confused and human suffering and, and economic distress is awaiting so many, Father, I pray that we would bear the message of Jesus on our lips and that each of us would cross human barriers in order to bring the hope of the gospel to a watching and listening world around us. And Father, ultimately, we pray all of these things in the great name of Jesus, amen.